Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is highly decorated pastry chef Waylon Lucas. Now, the hard work that she has put into her career has earned her some of the most prestigious spots in her respective industry. She's worked as a judge on numerous shows on Food Network and has published an incredible brunch-themed cookbook titled Sunny Side Up. Now, the underlying theme, or the biggest takeaway for me this week, is resilience. Throughout this episode, you will understand challenge after challenge that was thrown Waylon's way. And time after time, she met such challenges, redefined herself, and pressed on. For more information, you can visit waylandlucas.com. That's W-A-Y-L-Y-N-N-L-U-C-A-S dot com. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook under Wayland Lucas. As always, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with celebrity pastry chef, Waylon Lucas. Well, Waylon, I cannot thank you enough for showing up and spending some time here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Before we get too deep into anything, I think we need to pass along a thank you to Jody Morton, who was a previous guest of the show, huge mm-hmm. supporter. Um, she made the introduction between us, and uh, yep. here we go. We're going to be off and running here in a second. All right. So I want to get into, we're going to start right, just get right into the lion's share of everything. In understanding some of your deepest, darkest secrets, I have a pretty <laughs> imperative question that I'm going to just come right out and we're going to go with. All right. How in God's green earth did you come up with that cinnamon roll recipe? I was looking through your social media. I was looking through your social Uh media, I was doing some homework and uh, going through stories and I'm like, Jesus, look at these cinnamon rolls. These have got to be the most (laughs) symmetrically perfect batch of cinnamon rolls I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) Oh man, I know. It's it's really funny. It's like, A, it's the running joke in my family that I'm a chef, but... (laughs) I started out doing savory cooking and went into pastry and pastry is like such this like fine perfectionist, like measured patient sort of skill and craft. And I had no idea how like um, obsessive compulsive I was and like um, uptight (laughs) in a certain regard until I started doing pastry. But that perfect symmetrical um, cinnamon rolls you spotted on my Instagram that comes from, um, some very serious um, French pastry training where, you know, you cut every single piece of whatever you're cutting in perfect symmetric, almost like measured pieces where they had to be like quarter inch perfect cubes and someone would come around and measure them. Or if I was making bread, <laughs> if I spilt flour on the counter, I would like be beaten with like a wooden spoon. I'm not oh, even joking. Um, so yes, it is that just fine training of just, you know, being trained to be just that perfect, to be that perfectionist and not the healthiest thing in the world. Uh, they look amazing, but, and I know we sit here and we kind of poke fun at the whole cinnamon roll thing to start the show. And, uh, I was talking to some friends the other day, never in a million years did I think in a, in a horse journey that I would be talking to a highly decorated chef 
And it's funny how we talk about the network of the horse community and how the reach just expands and, and the branches and roots run deep throughout this country. Um, and I guess mm-hmm. even in this sense, we could say internationally, uh, with Jody's yeah. help, you have an extremely powerful testimony in the horse and its influence in your life. Um, but to give folks context to that future conversation we're about to have shortly, mm-hmm. I would like to kind of go back through some of your history and yeah. and how you traveled the road, right, to becoming a chef, because many of those experiences, many of those life lessons in that journey uh, kind of helped define or maybe establish the influence that the horse had in your life. So I guess we can open it kind of or start it kind of open ended as to. What was your start? What was your early experiences with horses? And, and how did we get to, to being a chef? <laughs> um, all right, let's get into it. Um, you know, when I was born, my parents lived out on a ranch and they raised um, racehorses. Um, so, you know, I was around horses from before I could remember I was on horses before I could walk. Um, that was just something that was really always kind of there and around in my life. Um, we didn't stay on, I don't, I don't really have any memories of that ranch. We didn't stay on that ranch for very long. Um, my dad was not a good dude and he was pretty abusive and in and out of jail. And, um, my mom, did a really hard thing and she uh, took my brother and I and up and left him. And so, you know, we left that ranch and went, you know, closer to family and friends, you know, to help and all of that. And, uh, so then, you know, there was some space and time where horses weren't a part of my life. But, uh, when I was eight, we moved out to Colorado and my mom wanted horses back in her life and she wanted us to not grow up and live in the city. And so we moved out to Colorado and I'd say that's really truly when my horse journey began. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I took some lessons like English, you know, jumping lessons and stuff when I was probably eight, nine years old. And that didn't really stick with me. I didn't really love it. Um, and after that, it was just sort of, my horse journey was just kind of like, you know, kick them to go and pull on the reins to stop and don't fall off. <laughs> it's fundamental, um, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fundamental. Like I think my, my lessons, my brief stints in English writing lessons I had kind of taught me like the basic sort of safety fundamentals as well. But you know, I just rode for fun and for mm-hmm. pleasure and yeah. we would go out into the mountains and pack and, you know, I had this horse that wasn't very well trained and I didn't, you know, neither of us really knew what we were doing and we just kind of grew up figuring it out. And, you know, I would teach him how to jump and teach him how to do things. And I'd hop on him in the pasture bareback and we would just go and run. And I mean, I rode my horse to school and high school. Um, <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, very fortunate that I lived in, you know, kind of out in a place and uh, that was just horses were life. I was not, my journey with horses is, uh, you know, it's not really been until recently. I've really actually dove into horsemanship, Mm -hmm. um, growing up, you know, I couldn't have told you what a flying lead change was. I, if you told me to, you know, move the hind quarters or move a shoulder, I would have not had a clue what in the world you were talking about. Like I said, what I was taught with horses was kick them to go, pull the reins to stop and, and, and hold on. And, 
you know, every, I just sort of, you know, I was young and figured it out and, uh, <laughs> and I, and I, and I loved it. And for me, my journey then when I was a kid with horses was just being there with my horse and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about anything else. It didn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm what fancy things I could do or knew about, or, you know, all the technical stuff like that. It was, you know, it really was my journey as a child with my horse was, it was survival. And that horse was, uh, the thing that truly, um, wow, I'm getting emotional. Um, that truly saved my life. I grew up, uh, in an alcoholic home. Like I briefly said, my father yeah. was, you know, abusive and in and out of jail and, my mom was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Um, so as a kid, I was lost and alone and scared. And the horse was the first thing that was always there and was always honest and always there for me. And, um, I suffered a lot of depression when I was a really young kid and, um, suicide was a very real thing for me. And, you know, it would, I would cut myself and man, I was a messed up little kid. <laughs> no, but um, and I not to truly, your fault in any way, shape no, or form, you know, I mean, yeah, no, it was just, it was, you know, the hand I was dealt and the life I led. And I can truly wholeheartedly without a doubt say that if it were not for horses, I would not be here today. It's beautiful in the same vein when we talk about right trauma and the benefit of horses and things of that sort, uh, especially on this show. I mean, I've had many, many guests uh, share portions of their life and they'll tell me after the episode's done, like, man, nobody's heard that story. Or there's a handful of people in my life that know this story. Mm-hmm. I feel grateful that they find enough comfort in in sharing it with us and I think back to some experiences in childhood and you spend time with the horse because it just feels good, right? As a young child, yeah. you don't mm-hmm. know why it feels good. You don't got a clue, <laughs> right? But nope. just there's something yeah. about it, the presence, mm-hmm. right? And being, being around the horse. And I know for me in my journey, I think back and there are so many applicable life lessons that I didn't put two and two together on until I was mm-hmm. an adult and reflecting on those experiences. And it's interesting because in one, in one regard, I wish I would have been more present and aware of the joy, the benefit, the reward of being with the horse, right? It truly is a blessing, mm-hmm. but in the same exact breath, like it takes, maybe it takes 20 years of life <laughs> to, to formulate that context, you know? Yeah. And it's, the beauty in all of it is that you you will never be a successful student of the horse, in my opinion, right? There's so much to learn, not only about so the horse, much. but about ourselves oh, and yeah. how we respond to stress and trauma and pressure and heartache. And the horse is a blessing on so many levels. I mean, I, I don't need to sit here and sell it because the <laughs> contingent, right, that listens to the show right. and, and, yeah. and the guests, I mean, we all get it. But mm-hmm. it's a it's a beautiful blessing that a lot of us don't realize until later in life. Yeah. Yeah. So so you have these early experiences, right? And you grow up in a I think it's probably fair to say a chaotic environment at times. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting how at such a young age with virtually no how do you say this? Like no developed survival skill sets, right? 
You're just yeah. existing as a child. You have the circumstance thrown upon you. You don't know. I mean, heck, do we ever know what emotional stability is or how to formulate opinions and thoughts based on, I mean, real life trauma, real life trauma. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about paper cuts here. This is stuff that changes the way that people are hardwired, you know? Yeah. It's a lot for any child to take on, but those challenges that you experience don't really ferment until those teenage years, right? Or maybe those early twenties or thirties, right? In life. Mm -hmm. So you end up in a path chasing an extremely challenging, extremely judgmental, extremely difficult profession of being a chef. <laughs> yeah. In your opinion, were you chasing some successes to find validity and maybe credibility in your own personal thoughts, your own feelings? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. You know, it took me... It took me a really long time to realize that my self-worth wasn't dependent on any outside circumstance. It wasn't dependent on my success. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. wasn't dependent on how other people treated me or, you know, um, and that was a really, um, a pretty tough lifelong sort of lesson that I really just I mean, if I'm being honest, like just truly recently, yeah. you know, in the past few years, like really, truly accept and believe and, you know, wholeheartedly have made that, you know, shift and, mm -hmm. you know, my mindset. Um, I also think a really important part of my story that I always like to share is, you know, yeah, you see this, you know, highly decorated, great chef and I'm on TV and I have this cookbook and it's, you know, yay, it's so awesome. But I was never that kid or like even, you know, my teenage years, my twenties, like I never knew what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I wanted to be a veterinarian, a large animal veterinarian. And I wanted to be an FBI agent and I almost joined the army and I worked in fashion for years and, you know, I was just kind of still that lost soul, you know, yeah. like I talked about when I was yeah. a kid and I just kind of tried all the things I wanted to do until, you know, I found something that stick. And for me, you know, becoming a chef, you know, I grew up in a foodie family and my mom was an amazing cook. And so food, you know, we didn't really have a lot of common ground with the chaos and everything, but the one thing that sort of was like normal um, and was, you know, so much care and love was put into in our family was food. Interesting. And so I think for me, you know, that was a very safe sort of happy thing. And it oh. was the one sort of constant, you know, other than horses that I had in my life. And so mm. it's like, you know, I couldn't boil water to save my life when I was a kid. So it's like a joke that I'm now the chef <laughs> in the family, but it's, but it's also not really any accident and for me. What I love what I do because it brings people joy. And I think food and, you know, sharing meals, you know, you create experiences and memories. And if I can be a part of that for someone, then that fulfills me. And that's truly why I love what I do, but touching on back on what you were talking about, you know, I was living in LA really starting out my culinary career and man, I sacrificed everything and anything. And I just worked, I worked, I worked every day of my life. I worked 18 hour days, you know, I missed family functions and friends, yes. you know, births of their kid. And I just worked because I think I was so driven to be the best at what I was doing. And I wanted to win all the awards and have all the prestige because I think I needed to prove to myself and the world that, Hey, like, 
look at me like I'm, I'm important. I'm valuable. I'm worth something. And I thought that I had to do that in my career. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I really worked myself into a miserable human being. I was, I was a shell of a human being. I was miserable and unhappy and I would yell at people and I would like throw pots and pans and make people cry. And, and I just was, you know, I had lost all touch of anything that brought me joy and why I even started cooking in the first place. Like I just said, it was to like make people happy and like, you know, have this loving thing. And here I was. Yeah. Like that's not making anybody. No, no, it would not make me happy. I'll just tell you that. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I finally kind of, you know what I mean? I hit rock bottom and realized that some changes needed to be made in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because I grew up in a, a relatively parallel perspective, right? And mm-hmm. and a lot of my success uh, throughout my teens, early 20s was truly, I was motivated by the fear of failing. Mm-hmm. 100%. I just did not want to fail. And that's why I worked so hard at everything yeah. to get like everything right. And I was the guy that had a plan and a contingency mm-hmm. plan and three different mm-hmm. contingencies for that contingency <laughs> and seven different contingencies on the level after that, you know, and uh, very, very calculated. I did that achieve what exhausting. I think it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I didn't figure that out <laughs> until 10 years later. But for me, I didn't realize until later in life, right? You start to reflect and you look back and mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for all of those experiences because it's put me in the position I am in. I grew up an athlete, so by nature, just inherently competitive. And I thought that mm-hmm. was part of the competitive spirit was just to be the best. And it wasn't until I get to rock bottom myself that you start to realize, well, okay, what is this all worth? Like, what is it for? What? Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) I've missed many, many family gatherings. I mean, I have family members to this day that still like, will you quit doing what you're doing so you could just come hang out? And and I have a far better perspective on life balance now than I did 10, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. But even to this day, it runs through on some level. And, and I think about credibility. That's another big thing with me, right? In the horse industry specifically, I think so many people can just claim to be an expert. (laughs) Yeah. You print it on a business card that makes you an expert. Uh, That's like the threshold and Mm -hmm. credibility is a big, big deal. But then the more I think about it, it's like, okay, well, what is, what is credibility? Why am I trying to prove credibility to anybody? I should be comfortable with myself and I should be able to run my own race and I should not give, because I truly believe like, I don't really care what other people think. Like I have me and I have to run my own race and I have to take care of those people that are invested in me and I have to give back as much as I possibly can. Like those are kind of like the bare bones root essential thought processes that I go through day in and day out, but there's still that desire, right? To, to be the best. And it's, it's tough because I don't know the answer and and the question is like why? For what? You know, it's a yeah. huge journey, it's a huge travel to to figure out and those I answers. Think, I think if you're so focused on being the best and that, you know, perfectionism and, and reaching that like perfect place of, you know, mm-hmm. doing everything perfectly, like, you know, you're missing out on oh, yeah. the journey. You're not experiencing what yeah. you're doing. And that's, you know, in horsemanship and that's, you know, in life. Um, you know, if you're so focused on, no, I have to get this perfect. I have to get this perfect. I mean, 
sure you might pass through perfection. You might get it, you know, once, but then, you know, you're, you're missing out, you know, all the times you're doing great work, you're not giving yourself the credit you deserve because yeah. oh, it wasn't perfect or can yeah. be better. And yeah. yeah. And my parents used to tell me you can have it all. You just can't do it now. You know, you can't do it all at the same time. You want everything all at the same time. And, and, and for me, that was kind of the liberating experience in, in starting to get into horsemanship in my early journeys is it slows life down, or at least for mm-hmm. me, it slowed life down and it, and it provided me opportunities to kind of digest some of the stress and pressure that I put myself under, right? Some of that exhaustion that I'd been under for so many years and it brings yeah. things to the forefront and it does so in a manner that's digestible. Uh, there's heartache, there's heartbreak in a lot of it. There's a lot of reflection, but like you just talked about that process, that journey, that is where the joy is. That is where we should, we as human beings should start to place more emphasis and focus is just that the journey and not necessarily the destination. Yeah. And to me now I, I almost find more beauty. I almost, like I always tell myself, it's not it's not about what I know. I, I focus. It's about what I don't know because yeah. that keeps me learning and yeah. growing. Yeah. And you know, it's not about um, it's not about being perfect and doing everything great. It's about you know the lessons we learn and we grow. You know, as horse people, and we grow as individuals. You know, in the mm-hmm. mistakes, and, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. know, and, and when you take yourself out of your comfort zone, and you know, you see what your threshold is, and then that's where the true beauty and change comes from. You know, and it's the same thing. You know, with horsemanship, like you have to allow yourself and your horse, you know, to mess up, to to teach the horse, to teach yourself. You have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to see what you're really capable of. And for me too, and my journey with horses is, you know, not all the time, but you know, there's a time and a place to push that horse outside their comfort zone yes, to yes. see, to see where that threshold is, to see, you know, where they are and, and what's going on. You know, it's funny, just a few weeks ago, I have a, a horse that I sort of inherited from my mom and she got the horse for free and, you know, knew that it had some injuries, could never really been ridden. I ended up with the horse that I know nothing about, you know, <laughs> Sounds really like you're off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Great, great, great start. Um, like, yeah, I can't really use it. Can't really be ridden, but here you go. Yeah. Um, but you know, now, you know, seeing as how we're in a quarantine and a pandemic, you know, it really gave me the time that I've been wanting to, to work with this horse and, um, you know, that I knew nothing about. And so, you know, I was, I live in a, a neighborhood where, you know, it's not right up on top of each other, but you know, houses are in, in view and sight. And I have a neighbor's arena, um, huge outdoor arena that, uh, basically I get to treat as my own. So I was over there riding this horse and really was like the first real ride I'd put, you know, on this horse. And, we're going along and all of a sudden the horse starts bucking and I'm like looking around, I'm trying oh, to figure out what's going yes. on. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what? I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm like, is this really his threshold? Like, is he in so much pain already? I'm like, we haven't really done much. And this herd of sheep was coming up from behind him. And I got a text from my neighbor who was watching the whole thing happen. And she's like, you know, if I were you, I would have gotten off that horse. And I said, if safety really truly was of concern, I would have got off the horse. But for me, I needed to know what that horse's threshold was. I needed to know and experience for myself, how is this horse going to react under pressure like this in an uncomfortable situation? And I need to know what I'm up against 
if I'm out, cause I ride a lot by myself. Like if mm-hmm. I'm out on this horse by myself, like I need to know what I'm up against and, you know, how, you know, how to deal with this horse. And so it really was, you know, that lesson. And I explained that to her and she's like, wow, she's like, I never would have thought about it that way. She's like, I just would have got off and called it a day. Yeah. And yeah. I said, but where's the, where's the growth? Where's the learning in that? Yeah. You know, so it's, um, you know, and it's the same thing for myself. I've always, I'm because of my life, my history, my childhood, how I grew up, I have a anxiety disorder and, you know, the most common things give me paralyzing fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's been this lifelong struggle for me to, you know, overcome those, you know, naturally and with myself. And I think that's in a way why I relate so much to horses because it's that fight or flight, like, you know, yeah. like, I know what it's like to be in that much fear of over nothing of like a paper black bag blowing in the wind of like, Oh my God, it's going to kill me. Cause I have, I mean, I literally have those same feelings over like, you know what I mean? Like the silliest things. I mean, there was points in my life where like going to a public place, like I literally felt like I was going to die because like the social anxiety and the people and, you know, so I get it. Um, and so I really work very hard at pushing myself outside, you know, my comfort zone and, um, you know, cause that's where we see what we're really capable of. And, you know, it's never, things are never as bad as you think they are. Once you get to the other side, like, oh, but that's, that's so the bad. biggest thing, right? Is that you got to make it to the other pasture and exactly for, for the anxiety <laughs> and the depression stuff. I, I mean, we sit here and laugh about the, the paper bag scenario, the plastic bag scenario, right? Blowing in the wind. <laughs> right. But uh, when you're in the trenches of it, it is a reality. It is a perceived reality, oh, whether it is you or totally. it is the horse, right? And right? Mm. and it's tough. I mean, it takes a lot of fortitude and a serious gut check to be able to work your way out of those scenarios. And yeah. I think people don't understand the sacrifice that needs to be made sometimes in, in mm-hmm. dealing with that because we as human beings, we are inherently good at lying. We could be yeah. going a billion miles an hour inside. And if I take a deep breath and I wipe that tear, I can put my game face on and I can go out in front of everybody and nobody's going to know a thing. Right. right. And you talk about understanding thresholds and being willing to challenge those thresholds. I mean, it's a huge, huge deal. And, and I kind of want to, I want to fall back on your experiences in Los Angeles, right? And we talked about mm-hmm. your education and being a chef and, I think you found a threshold in some of those experiences, right? <laughs> I mean, it's fair to say. Yes. <laughs> uh, was it joyful? Absolutely not. Was it trying? 110%. Yeah. But I want to talk about some of those some of those thresholds, How, where you were at in life. So to give listeners context, let's talk about where you were at in life, kind of what that mm-hmm. threshold was and how you addressed it. Because I think for so many of us, and I've lived it 100% in my life, is you know the threshold's there. You know when yeah. you're going to break and you continue to push yourself past it because you want to play the game that, oh, it doesn't exist or, oh, I don't want to face it. But for you to actually go through that process now and be in the other pasture per se, I think you offer us a lot of advice in that realm. Um, thank you. Yeah, you know, it was, <laughs> it was, infor- you know, unfortunately or fortunately, um, you know, I was at my threshold for, for a while. And I think we live in this sort of world and society where it's almost like acceptable to just be miserable, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like your job and in your yeah. life and like, Oh, it's just, you know, that's just what it is. Like, you know, work sucks and, you know, just got to pay the bills. And, 
Um, and that's not ever acceptable and okay with me, you know, anymore. And yeah, I worked myself, you know, to, to the bone to try and prove myself and get all the accolades and, um, you know, had to be, you know, the best. And just, it was some years of me really being miserable till I finally just like, you know, it's like, what's the definition of insanity? Like yeah. repeating the same behavior and expecting different results. Yeah. <laughs> We've like, all been there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I was, <laughs> it's yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> it's so true. Um, and for me, it was just like, you know, okay, this job, you know, working for this chef or, you know, at this property running, you know, this many restaurants at this hotel is making me miserable. I'm going to go to a much smaller really fine dining Michelin star, you know, restaurant and work there and it's going to be different. No, it's not. It's actually going to be worse and, and it's in different ways, you know, okay, well, let me maybe go back to the other, or let me just, you know, it's the same thing, <laughs> you know, just dressed up as something different. And, you know, I tried that for a while and just realized, wow, like I can move jobs. I can move across the city you know, but really I'm taking me with me wherever I go. And so I'm going to have the same problems and the same issues wherever I am and whoever I'm working for and whatever that looks like. And it was just really hit a point of just like enough is enough. And, you know, like hitting that rock bottom and it's like, well, you know what, no other job or no other boss or no other restaurant is going to change how miserable and overworked and unhappy I am. And it's like, oh, wow, it was like this like eye-opening moment of like, hey, dumbass, you're in charge of your, you know what I mean? Excuse my language, yeah, but you like, have more control. You're in, yeah, like you're in charge of your own life. Guess what? So you get to make choices and this is your life and you only get to live one of them. And it's just, I got miserable enough. I truly think that it's been my experience and I've seen it in others that, you know, when it gets painful enough, you'll change. And yeah. if you're not changing, then you haven't hit your bottom yet. No. <laughs> and so I, I had, I had to make a choice cause I couldn't do it anymore. And so I left working for other people and took a huge leap of faith and opened up my own bakery. Um, I had a business partner, but it was like, I want to get back to why I'm cooking. I want to get back to connecting with people, to making baked goods and delicious things for people that bring a smile to their face and, mm -hmm. you know, be a part of someone's special memory and make a birthday cake or their wedding cake or, you know, like I wanted to get back to that. And I'm like, I just want to open a small little neighborhood bakery where I get to connect with my customers and, you know, just bring it back to basics. And, yeah. and so I left a super prestigious, super high paying job and went broke <laughs> and put all my money into opening this bakery. And I remember, gosh, the months before opening the bakery, I couldn't pay my bills. I didn't know if I, I, mean, I could barely pay my rent. And it was this huge, you know, leap of faith. But I am a firm believer, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And this was something that I needed to do for my sanity and my happiness. And I knew, you know, I shouldn't just say like, oh, yeah, willy nilly, just like, you know, quit and like, you know, chase your dreams. Like, 
I knew business. I knew cooking. I being mm-hmm. a chef, mm-hmm. and I had run properties. So business wise, you know, I knew what I was doing. That you know, I was setting myself up for you know for success, and had a great business plan. And you know, luckily, it was a really successful, great bakery. Um, and it gave me quality of life back to connect back to who I am and who I want to be and be a happy individual and have a good quality of life. And that, you know, then opened up so many other, um, doors for me and getting myself back in touch with what, what really matters and what's really important to me. And so then I took a second huge leap of faith (laughs) and left that bakery behind that was like my child and you know I loved so much and um you know left LA where I you know had prestige and people knew who I was and a successful business and you know working on these TV shows and yeah, everything yeah. and and said you know this I'm still not fulfilled like I need and want to be as a person and I want horses back in my life and live in the mountains and city life for me just you know, I got the work component figured out, you know, having my own bakery was amazing. But then there was this life component, too, that I was just an unhappy, miserable human being. And for me, sitting in traffic, you know, um, taking spending an hour in traffic to drive three miles, um, you know, and people that don't look at you on the street and make eye contact and don't want to talk to you, that wasn't um, that wasn't the life for me. So I picked up and left and uh, moved to Utah. (laughs) And the main driving force behind that honestly was, yeah, better quality of life again. But it was, you know, it was horses. I was a very challenging place in my life. And I had suffered a lot of uh, trauma over a few years in my personal life. And Mm -hmm. there was just this thing inside me that I was like, I just, I need horses in my life again. And, um, and so, yeah, I moved out here and my only criteria for a house and a property was I just need to be able to have a horse. I don't care anything else about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, because for me, um, for me personally, you know, I want, you know, I want to look out, you know, my window mm-hmm. and see my horse. I want to wake up every morning and throw that hay and shovel that shit. And, you know, that's the, 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 the what I wanted for myself instead of, you know, going to a barn and a stable. Um, so no judgment on that. You know, it's great. I did that for a part of my life too, but so yeah. And then, then, you know, here I am. <laughs> it's a, it's an incredible journey and you make a couple points that I kind of want to develop. One is, so a mentor of mine uh, recently came across some decisions in life that I had to make, right? Just you're at a crossroad and I call one of my mentors and he offered some great advice to me. And he talks about when you're making a decision, you got to ask yourself, are you running away? Are you running towards, Mm -hmm. are you running away from something out of fear because you don't like it? It makes you uncomfortable or are you running towards an opportunity? And as you're describing your story in Los Angeles and the experiences, I think it's, it's incredible to watch the paradigm shift for you, right? For so many years, you are running away from what life was as a child and all those traumas and a lot of those challenges and experiences, right? To prove value Mm -hmm. in your life, to prove credibility, to prove expertise, to find value in yourself. And then you get to a point where you said, all right, enough is enough. I'm going to step out on my own. And I think in listening to the story, your obviously firsthand experience is going to define whether or not this is true. But when you just make that decision to step off on your own, I think your paradigm shifts from running away to running towards, right? You're running back towards the why. And, and it is very, very easy to lose sight of the why in anything you do. I mean, I've lost it in this podcast. 
a handful of times, right? <laughs> uh-huh. And and it's something that I started to help people. And then all of a sudden, there's all these outside demands of life and what the industry thinks this should be and how it should go. And you start to get distracted by the noise. And there's way too much stimulus, right? And you need to for me, I needed to sit back and say, okay, why, why did I start this show? Why did I hit record for the very first time? And once I was able to define that and lay the foundation on that, this is what I want the show to be, boom, full steam ahead and, and everything else becomes more clear in your picture. So I think it's most commendable in going through the trenches to mm-hmm. be able to have that that level of clarity. And it's not easy. It's never going to be an easy road traveled. Never no. is it. Never. But nope. <laughs> but we have to continue to fight. And if we don't fight for anybody, we have to fight for ourselves. That's it. Right? Yeah. Just fight for who you are and why you do what you do. Because I lived in a completely different profession, lived a nearly parallel experience, right? Where you are trying yeah. to, you are chasing expertise. You want to be the biggest, the best, the smartest, the fastest, the greatest to mm-hmm. ever live. I know none of that yeah. was ever achievable. I know it wasn't attainable. <laughs> Yeah. But, it, but it's what motivated me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you look at that and you say, for what, what is this really, what is this really doing? Not only for me personally, but for me professionally. Um, mm-hmm. And the horse played a huge role in turning my tide. Obviously, here we are with this show to get me back to my personal why. Why? What, why are you here on earth? What are you supposed to do? You know, yeah. it took a lot of time in the good book and it took a lot of soul searching and it took a lot of heartache, but for you to to make that change i think speaks volumes a to your just flat out your level of toughness like one <laughs> tough chick i know you probably don't feel it often or you've never felt it um cuz there were those days for me but there comes a point where you sit back and you say you know what i'm going to fight cuz i am worth it yeah you know? and i think you know kind of coming bringing it you know full circle a little bit i know for me you know you see a lot of times you know kids and families where, you know, abuse or alcoholism or things like that are present. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, the offspring will either fall into that pattern or, you know, they'll break away. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, I just remember seeing that from a really young age and that, you know, that dysfunction and just that horror and seeing, I saw it as I was like, this is the thing, like, that is ruining my life that is like killing me inside and mm-hmm. you know making me so sad and alone and miserable and i was like i am going to fight and fight my ass off to not to not be like them yeah and it's not to and it's not to say that my mom's a bad person or you know my brother's a bad person or my dad's a bad person it's you know it's they were given you know, my mom did the best with the tools that she had and she has a disease and she's an alcoholic. And as a result of that, she wasn't able to be there for me really in any capacity. And, you know, I know for me, the true freedom and shift came, um, when, you know, I was able to let go of all that anger and let go of being the victim Mm -hmm. and really say, you know what, she did the best with the tools she was given. And, you know, I even use it, you know, it's funny now that I've really been diving into, you know, growing, um, you know, my, my skills and my understanding of the horse and my horsemanship, um, you know, which I never had growing up. Um, you know, I realized the tools and the attitudes and, you know, the training and the techniques and the mentality that, you know, you, you use to work with horses. If I could use that and apply that in my life, 
gosh, the world would be a better place and I would be <laughs> such a, a better individual because yeah. it's the same thing. Like you look at a problem horse, like you're not going to get mad and angry and upset and cry over this problem horse that, you know, has these issues. Like that horse is doing the best it is with the tools and training it was given. And somewhere along the lines, a human failed that horse. And it, you know, now has some kinks that need to be worked out. And it's the same thing with my mom. Like yeah. if I go look back at the generations and the history, like she did the best she could with the tools that she was given. And it's not a reflection of me for a long time. I was like, well, if she loved me enough, she would stop drinking and doing drugs. And if she loved me enough, she would be there for me. It's but I think not, that's a natural you know, reaction. It's not about that. I think it's oh, a natural reaction, sure, especially right? Especially as a kid, yeah. you know? And yeah. we talk about, you're just so yeah. overwhelmed by fear and stimulus and, and all that's going on in life and you don't have the skill set to metabolize it. You don't have the skill set yeah. to be productive, right? Which is no mm -hmm. fault of the individual. Yeah, uh, You're just in a place, you're in that fight, flight, or freeze. And for me, yep. I was in the freeze. <laughs> I was just so paralyzed by everything that mm -hmm. I just didn't know what to do. And, and uh, good Lord willing, right? I have a moment of clarity where I decide that, hey, this is not, like, I cannot do this anymore. This is just too much stress, too much pressure. And like you described, I'm just not comfortable enough in life. Something's got to change. So here we go. Horses made me happy. Let's get back to that and see what comes of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. No mission, no intention of horsemanship, no intention of mm -hmm. even helping anybody else out. Wow. But uh, I... I get exposed to some horsemanship. I think it's an incredible thing. I think it's a great challenge to start on. I start down that path and then you start to see how, in my opinion, horsemanship fixes humans faster than it fixes horses. Well, it's not, it's not, it's the, it's, it's teaching us humans. Yeah. It's not really teaching yeah. the horse. You yeah. know what I it, mean? Absolutely. It's like, it's teaching, yeah, it's teaching us and it's yeah. just, it never ceases to amaze me that, yeah. you know, what lessons the horses teach me, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. how whatever issue or thing I think that, you know, and it's not the case all the time, but, you know, I had a pretty big, you know, aha moment, you know, leaving LA and moving out to the country, you know, it's a lot slower pace of life. And I kind of, I kind of call it the like slam on the brakes syndrome. Where, like if you're driving along and you slam on your brakes really hard, like all the junk and trash yeah. and like whatever that's in your back seat comes like flying up on your lap and in yeah. your dash. Um, so when I got here, <laughs> it's fair enough. To Utah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not saying I've, you know, I've trash in my backseat of my car or anything, but, uh, come um, on, we all do. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, but no. So when I got out here to Utah and was living this slower paced life, I had that like slam on the brakes moment and like kind of touched on briefly before, like I had some years of some serious, serious trauma in my life, like mm -hmm. heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. Just like I was beaten down and beaten up and, you know, you just, you, you, you got to keep going and you got to keep going and working and you just keep going. And so I got out here and I slowed down and stopped and all those years of trauma was dumped on my lap. And I, for the first time in a really long time was like on the ground, just like, I, oh my gosh, like I need help. Yeah. Like this is so much hurt and so much trauma and so much stuff that I need to work through that like, wow, I can't do it, you know, on, you know, my own. And mm -hmm. I mean, total other side note, you know, random, I went away to this sort of week, you know, therapy retreat and they do a lot of equine therapy and stuff like that, whatever. But 
you know, I needed, I came back from that, you know, with a lot of clarity and, you know, you know, it's just, you know, it's just like the horse when an issue comes up or something, you know, you, you handle it in the moment and you work through it in the moment and you look at, you know, you look at every animal that exists on the planet. And, you know, if a horse is spooked or, you know, you look for that moment of relaxation in the horse and they let out a big sigh or they're licking their lips or, you know, Mm -hmm. they shake it off or, you know, an animal gets spooked in the wild and then they, you know, shake it off and calm down. And then they're back to life. Like as nothing else was before, like, like, gosh, what if we could do that? Like, what if after trauma or something horrible, we could like just take the time to like literally shake it off or breathe through it or work through it like immediately in the moment? Like, I think we have so much to learn from, you know, horses in that regard. We're no different. But um, anyway, I'm kind of digressing and getting off on a tangent. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Um, that's exactly what that's exactly what I tell people. The, the greatest lesson that I've learned too with the horse, right, is is patience and forgiveness. Um, yeah. There was so much of my life that I didn't forgive myself for mm-hmm. um, because of perceived failures and perce- perceived inadequacies. And the whole patience thing as far as like the recovery, especially with baptism by fire, I mean, it's a process. It is going to take mm-hmm. a long time. And it took me, you know, seven, eight, nine years of fighting in my profession to get the success that I wanted, um, that same success buried me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably going to take, right? It'd be fair to say it could take potentially six, seven, eight years to get out of that. And yeah. it's a challenge in this instant gratification world that we live in that mm-hmm. you talked about it. I, I mean, you made an extremely valuable point. Is it with a horse, right? A pr- problem presents itself. Let's address it. We fix it. We move on. Done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like it's amazing. It's a very, very simple concept in theory. Yeah. But the application side of it is very challenging. And that's what I try to stress with a lot of my work with horses is that stuff is going to come up and a lot of it is going to be unexpected and a lot of it is going to blindside you. Yeah. Um, And in learning a lesson with a horse might stir up some thought or emotion. Um, But let's figure it out. Yeah. Just give it a second, right? And it might take six, yeah. seven, eight months to metabolize that thought or that emotion or that feeling that you have. It might take mm-hmm. years. Oh, yeah. But when it comes up, deal with it. And when you're done yeah. and you're comfortable, on to the next one. Yep. You know, and it's a, <laughs> it is, it truly is a challenge. It truly is a challenge, but that's the beauty of it and, and focusing in that journey rather than the destination. Yeah. So what for you in your experience, you you move to Utah, you get back into horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, what for you made this focus on horsemanship? And the reason I ask is because, I mean, people are involved in horses on so many levels across the world. So, uh, yeah. But we focus on horsemanship a lot on this show because of the parallels of life and what it can teach a human mm-hmm. being. Um, there's, I would say the lion's share of people in the horse industry don't visit this world of horsemanship. Yeah, so, so, so many people don't. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> For you, what was that draw or what was that moment that, that made that introduction to horsemanship? So it's so funny. You know, I always considered myself like a pretty decent rider, you know, yeah. like I grew up riding horses and. You know, and my, you know, I moved out to Costa Rica for three years and I bought this crazy stallion that was like the stallion that was like kept in, you know, the stall in the back of the barn in the dark corner that like, you know, didn't want you to see because it was so crazy. And, you know, like I could ride that thing and nobody thought that I could. And I was fancied myself a pretty decent rider. And so here I am cut to living in Utah and 
I moved out here in the end of fall and so kind of went right into winter. And as soon as that snow started melting, man, I was like horse shopping. I'm like, all right, like, let's do this. And, <laughs> Time to spend some money. Yeah. And I mean, I hadn't ridden a horse in 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, while mm-hmm. I was chefing and living in LA and focusing on my, you know, career. And, um, but you know, my, I grew up on horses now. I'm like, I'm a great rider. So I'm this. trying out all the, I'm, yeah, I totally got this. I totally know <laughs> what I'm doing and looking for in a horse. And my word was I so quickly proven wrong, but I'm looking at all these horses and getting tossed off horses and, you know, I go out to this guy's barn to look at this horse that was going to be at an auction, but he was in the area and checked it out. And I was like, man, that horse, no, I took one look at it and just physically the horse, I was like, yeah, no, thank you. And he's like, well, you know, based on what you said you're looking for, I might have a couple other horses that could be good for you. So he brings out these two horses and, you know, both, you know, stunning, great, good looking horses. One of them was a spitting image of the horse that I grew up riding. Really? And I was like, what are the chances oh, I mean, of that? Spitting image. Like if I could show you, I mean, I have pictures obviously, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's freaky how, I mean, with down to the markings, I mean, just body shape, built chest, I mean, all of it. And so, of course, I was like, oh, this is my horse. Like, I'm done. This is my horse, yeah. you know, whatever. Had a couple, you know, rides around the arena. And, you know, it was this pretty big trainer, you know, training the cutting horse facility out there and whatever. And, you know, he saw me ride and he obviously knew this horse and he thought fit that this horse would be a great fit for me, which now looking back, I don't think he probably had any business selling me this horse. I mean, mm-hmm. I I got the papers and the registration on this horse and I showed it to like my neighbor who's like an amazing horsewoman. And, um, and she's like, Waylon, she's like, do you know like the lineage of this horse? I'm like, no, no idea. <laughs> And she's like telling me the names and like looking it up. I mean, it's like Peppy Sand Badger and like Daco Lena. I mean, all, and I'm just like, huh? oh, this is yeah. like a legit like bread. I mean, this is like legit cutting horse. And I mean, I should have known like the guy's facility. I mean, that's what he does. But should you if you don't have the experience, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know any yeah. different. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, cool. You know, he's like got some cows. and You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. Um, so here I am ended up with this like insanely talented, trained, like performance athlete cutting horse and, you know, had the horse riding it great, fine, doing good, kind of had, you know, a couple issues and things and kind of some fear started coming up and developing in me. And I was like, maybe I should start working with a trainer, you know, Mm -hmm. and kind of started asking around and a lot of the people, um, a lot of the people that kind of live around me that I sort of fell into the horse world with were, you know, three day eventers and hunter jumpers and dressage. And like, they didn't really know anybody Western. And so finally found this guy and started working with him. And he's like, yeah, you know, what do you want to work with on your horse? I'm like, my horse doesn't trust me. I don't know what the problem is where, you know, we're out on the trail and it's him and I, and he just, he doesn't trust me. That's a pretty good forethought right there. (laughs) Right. Right. And he just kind of starts like laughing and, So that was like the premise of Mm -hmm. me, like hiring this trainer and starting to work with this guy. And he's all about, you know, horsemanship and he's all about, you know, all those fundamental things. And he really got me into it and opened, you know, my eyes to it. And I had this sort of aha moment of, you know, a lot of the years of trauma 
that I had suffered recently, it really kind of rattled my trust and confidence and just in life and in people and just everything. And so I had this aha moment where I was getting frustrated with my horse and I'm like, here I am wanting this horse to trust me when I can't trust. I don't know how to trust. Yeah. And it was like this light bulb, hysterically crying like moment of just like it, you know, it broke me. It's almost like I felt kind of the wall that I had put Mm -hmm. up around my heart kind of come down. And it was like one of those pivotal moments where I was, I was changed. Like I had that aha moment of like, wow. And that again is like, I'm always amazed at the lessons the horse teaches us, you know, cause yeah. it's, some, it's our stuff. It's my stuff. I was putting on the horse, you know what I mean? Not the other, you know, way around. Um, and so it was kind of that aha moment and just working with this trainer mm-hmm. and really just, you know, the basics of, of, you know, groundwork and horsemanship and feel and understanding the horse's mind and working with the horse and building that connection. Um, it just opened my eyes to this world and I saw these results in, in my horse and myself and it just changed my whole view and attitude and enjoyment of, um, of horses that I've just really have like dove into it. And I'm so, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm hooked and I just now yeah, it's see so how addicting. it's this. It's so, I mean, it's so addicting. And even, you know, he's started kind of teaching me, you know, some cutting stuff and really being able to sort of use a lot of these buttons that my horse has that mm-hmm. I had sort of no clue. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, man, like talk about hooked and obsessed and like, you know, you just get that perfect kind of rollback and spin and like, I mean, there's no greater feeling on earth, oh, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, it's like, it's magic. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. that perfection, like that perfect. I mean, and so it's just been this really fun, great, you know, awesome journey. And I still, you know, I look at everything now that I look at in my life is like through the eyes and the lens of horsemanship. It's like one of the lessons in horsemanship is the feel, you know, you, you teach and you train and you spend hours on your horse to get that feel, to feel like you know, their breath of subtle movement in their muscles, ten, you know, getting tense or the movement of their legs. And it's like, wouldn't it be amazing if we could take that same attention to detail and feel and be that aware and cognizant of our own selves and our own bodies? Oh, it'd be when amazing. We get, when, I mean, it'd be yeah. amazing. Like when we get tense or when there's an unsettling feeling in my gut that so many times, like, you know, like when you get like a gut, weird gut mm-hmm, feeling about mm-hmm. something or someone, and you're like, ah, no, nah, yeah, like whatever. no big deal. Yeah. Like, but you would never do that on your horse. Like I would never, if I'm out on the trail and my horse is like, you know, tensing up and, and sees something spooked or there's like a moose or I would never like disregard like, his ears are moving or I would never disregard that. I mean, I think that's like what you strive for in horsemanship is to notice that tiny movement in your horse's ear or the muscle or the tension. Yeah. And like you address it immediately, you know what I mean? Almost before like it happens. Yeah. And it's like, gosh, if we could do that with ourselves, like, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> it, no, it's a God's honest truth. And it's a huge premise of this show, right? That there's so much that goes on at the barn, in the round pen, out on the trail. I mean, just that, right? You have that gut feeling and that twist in your stomach. Yeah. It's there for a reason. Take a second and acknowledge it. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you're in a fight or flight or a life and death scenario, right? And you can't. You just have to survive. Yes. But if we're not in that state or that circumstance, 
Mm-hmm. Why not? You know, and it's helped me tremendously because, I mean, I would work to the point, literally, I would work to the point of physically being sick. And, yep. and I would have those feelings of, oh man, I'm getting worked up. I know this bothered me and I, or I'm just flat gassed beyond gas. Like I need to catch some sleep. Nope. Push on, push on, push yeah. on, push on. <laughs> and it's not now until later in life that I start to understand that, you know what? I need to take a nap in the middle of the day and maybe because I'm getting old and that's what old people do. But, <laughs> or, Amen or I'm, that, just, I'm just not in the right frame of mind for this. I need to step right. away and go do something else. Or, you know what? You're not going to get the whole project done, but work as hard as you can for the hour that you have and yeah. and mentally be okay with working, walking away from the other eight hours of, the, of work that need to get done because mm-hmm. so much of life is balance and, and that's the beauty afforded with horsemanship in my experience is that oh, the life, the lessons that you teach the horse, if you were to teach them to yourself that well, life yeah. gets fun it's amazing right? and you get to chase opportunities. <laughs> like there's things that I've done in the horse world that I literally, if I had a, a, whatever you call them, those, those wish boards or dream boards, right. That people put mm-hmm. up to all their goals. Half of the stuff that I've done never even would have made it on that board. I didn't even know that world right. existed. You know, oh, yeah. it's just incredible opportunities. It's, I mean, it's so true. And I mean, this might, you know, sound a little cheesier, might not relate to, a lot of your listeners, but I truly, I do truly believe that like the horse that is meant for you finds you. Um, and I mean, I had, like I said, I had no business, um, buying a horse like, like, like that. Like I had, (laughs) you know, a performance, you know, athletic cutting horse, like, you know, no business. Um, but I, you know, I truly believe that, you know, it was, it was no accidents that I ended up there at that guy's barn and he brought out that horse and it looked exactly like the horse I had growing up and, you know, and, and the lessons that, you know, this horse has, you know, taught me. And as a result of, you know, like I never would have thought in a million years that I would have had any desire to get into cutting or like, you know what I mean? Anything like that or any of that style, like, mm-hmm. you know, horsework and horsemanship and, you know, it's been one of the things that's like brought me more joy, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and passion and zest for life and introduced me to, you know, so many amazing friends and, and, and people. And it's just opened up my world to, you know, this family and network and community of people and just life that yeah. is uh, something that, gosh, I'm so blessed and grateful to, to have. And I count my blessings every day. And yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. 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 So let's talk about, we talk about the horse, right? And how, how horsemanship has kind of recharged your life batteries. I want to talk about the cookbook and, yeah. and, cooking hasn't completely fallen out of your circle. You're still very much nope. president. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of these recent challenges, projects, things of that, that, that you found success in, in the cooking realm. So about a year ago, I, uh, my first cookbook, uh, was published and came out into the world. It was about a three year in the process making, um, before that. Gosh. <laughs> and, um, it was one of those things Well, you know, there's certain, depending on your field, you know, and your career and what you do, there's certain, you know, boxes that you check. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd worked for great chefs and I'd won some awards and, you know, I was lucky enough, you know, to be able to, which was never my intent in getting into, you know, the field of cooking was to end up on TV and on the Food (laughs) Network. But um, 
it was just, you know, I'm a firm believer and say yes to, you know, every opportunity that, you know, comes knocking on your door until you're given deal. good reason and until you're given good reason not to. And, and so it was like, everyone's like, you got to write a cookbook. You got to write a cookbook. You know, you've done all these things. You've checked all these boxes. A cookbook is what's next. Like you have to have a cookbook. It's how like chefs market themselves and blah, blah, blah. And for <laughs> years I fought it because I was terrified. I was like, there is no way that I'm going to put myself and my recipes out there and experience that level of vulnerability. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm nope, I won't do it. I'm not a good enough chef to, you know, write all those recipes and I'm not going to do it. Can't do it. Not good enough. No, that was, you know, the, vo- the, the <laughs> that was the narrative that I was telling myself. It's crazy and- because if, I mean, from the outside looking in, I mean, that's just a silly statement. But again, right, <laughs> right. Li- limiting beliefs have a profound effect on outcome. Yep. And so here I am being a hypocrite saying, you know, like my my belief in life is to say yes to every opportunity. And, <laughs> but not you know, that one. Have, but not that one. That's too scary. I'm not going to put myself out there like yes. that. But, you know, actually, uh, you know, a, a book agent and some people really did approach me and said, you know, hey, like, let's do this. And so I was like, yes. Okay, yes. And it was a matter of, I think, you know, sometimes you don't have to look at the whole picture, just look at what is in front of you and take it down to basics of just putting one foot in front of the other. And for me, it was like, I'm just going to write one recipe at a time until I have enough to complete a book. And I'm not going to get so caught up in this end result of, oh my gosh, it's so scary and people are going to judge my recipes or what if nobody buys my book or, you know, what if I do a book signing and like one person shows up and, you know, just like all those, what, you know, the what ifs, Mm -hmm. you know, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just, you know, no, just one foot in front of the other, one recipe at a time, just keep my head down and, you know, not look off a million miles in the distance to what I can't see or know or predict. And so the book came out and, you know, it's been an amazing, awesome thing to see my book in the world and have people on social media, you know, tag me and show pictures of things that they're making and their favorite recipes to make out of the book. And, um, you know, just to connect with people all over the country through, you know, this book and this love of food has been a really just special, um, gift and just an amazing, um, opportunity. And I'm certainly glad that I didn't, uh, talk myself out of doing it. That's great. That's great. So what are some of the recipes that are featured in it? What's the theme of the book? So the theme of the book is breakfast brunch um, is, is the main theme. It really covers everything from, you know, breakfast, brunch, pastries. There's everything from, you know, huevos rancheros or homemade breakfast sausage to, you know, croissants and muffins. And there's, you know, smoothies and energy bars. And I mean, just a little bit of everything. It really was my passion. Um, you know, project as a pastry chef, there's a lot of, you know, pastry chef by nature and the bulk of my career, but there's a lot of savory stuff in there. And, I love breakfast. I love brunch. I think it's one of those meals you can eat any time of the day. And I second it's the that. one meal. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it's the one meal where you can, 
like sweets are part of the meal. It's not just like dessert. You know yeah. what I mean? Like a chocolate, like a chocolate filled croissant is that's breakfast. That's like, acceptable. That's Absolutely. not dessert. That's totally acceptable <laughs> to eat that for breakfast. And you know, it's the meal brunches. The meal we're day drinking is accept. It's acceptable yes. to yes. have some champagne yes. with breakfast. That I is mean, okay. what's not? It's okay <laughs> to start drinking at ten in the morning. Um, it's encouraged. It's brunch. You have to stay people. hydrated, especially if you're going to go out and work horses. Right? You don't want to pull right? a muscle. <laughs> <laughs> um so that was sort of the 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 forethought of you know the behind you know making a book you know about that but i didn't want it to just be a dessert book like i want you know there's chapters in the book you know where i create you know i give sort of recommendations to create like the perfect father's day brunch oh, or cool. you know for this occasion or yeah. that occasion or you know because like i said to me it's more than just making good food. It's like, it's memories, it's people it's and experience. family and friends coming together, sitting around, you know, the table. It's, you know, that's really what it's about. And I think, you know, breakfast brunch is sort of, you know, encompasses that as it's, you know, it's something you sort of do on the weekends with yeah. the family where yeah. everything slowed down, slows down and stops and you take that time to really enjoy. Yeah. What a special project. Very, very, very special project. Um, I still, I still pinch myself and get, you know, emotional. And sometimes I'll randomly, I was in New Jersey for work last December and, um, I was, you know, walking the streets and walked by this cute little neighborhood bookshop and, um, bookstore and decided to go on in. And I'm like, let's just, I'm like, there's no way that my book's going to be here. It's this really small boutique book. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, they had a copy, one copy of my book for sale in there. And I'm like, taking selfies with the book and like crying and getting all emotional by myself. And people are looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, the owner's like, you know, I'm lady, like, that, you... that book's for sale. You could buy it if you want. You don't just have to take a picture. I know, right? <laughs> and I'm like, but I don't care. Like I still, you know, it's like never stop. I don't ever want to stop. Yes. You know, even yes. if it's five years down the road, I don't ever want to stop being just giddy and beyond grateful for, yeah. you know, I, I'm a cookbook author. Like, that's not bragging. Like that's huge. I a, a work my ass off. It's yeah. A, yeah. Like I'm going to get giddy and excited. Yeah. And you know, when I see my book in a bookstore in some random place in New Jersey, like, that's yeah, awesome. I'm going to take a selfie Heck with yeah. it. And, right. Um, Absolutely. So. Well, it's incredible. It's incredible to, to get to know you on a deeper level than just a celebrity chef. Right. And <laughs> you've been very well documented in TV and media and things of that sort, but like we try to convey on this show, you know, I want to make, I, I, I want people to understand, and part of this is selfish on, on my part too, is I want people to understand who you are, right? And how your decisions mm -hmm. were made and the value in the cookbook, right? It is paper and ink and it's all put together, but it's the life experience and the love and the passion and the trials and the tribulations that make up the ink, right? That matter. And yeah, it's, it's, you have one heck of a story. One heck of a story, I'll tell you that. And, uh, I'm truly grateful for you choosing to share some of that here with everybody at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And as we wrap every show, I want to give people the opportunity, should they want to follow more of Waylon Lucas, where do they find you? How do they get a hold of you? Um, so my website, my Instagram, that's pretty much all I do. I, I mean, I have Twitter. Um, mm. I have a Facebook page. I don't really <laughs> be real honest with you. I haven't updated or done anything with oh. it, but it's, um, it's just my name, Waylon Lucas, which is W A Y 
L-Y-N-N-L-U-C-A-S. So Waylon Lucas is our Instagram, waylonlucas.com. Um, that's where you can find me and follow a live, try to be pretty real and authentic with my life and my day to day on social media. So you can follow along and see my life and see what I'm doing. And I don't know, I guess one quick little thing that you just spurred in me, um, and wrapping up is I feel like a lot of people that follow me on social media coming from LA and the chef world are probably the opposite kind of people that, you know, listen to this podcast and things and, and they see my life and pretty much my life, you know, I work from home and I have a wholesale bakery at home and my life is, you know, at home and I'm out in the barn and I have donkeys and horses and goats and chickens and ducks and dogs. And, you know, my life is this sort of country, you know, little mini ranch life, um, homesteading kind of life. And people are like, Oh man, like you're living the dream. Like, that's so amazing. Like someday I could only wish and dream to do that. And I think it's just really important to just have it be said, like, my life was no different than doing the grind and living in the city. Like all those people who make those comments to me, we all have the choice and I made the choice to, you know, up and leave and come and follow my dreams and make this like, make my dream my life. That's what I encourage everybody to do. Like life is short, make your dream, your life. Like there's nothing stopping you and holding you back from doing that right now. Like today, you know? It's incredible. And that's what I, I mean, I always end every show with parting words on what provides you freedom in life and your life lessons. And I think that's a, it's a great way to wrap everything and, and you've exemplified it and it's been challenging and it's been a long trying road, but now you're sitting back getting to enjoy and reap some of the benefits of it. Yeah. Well, Waylon, as always, we cannot thank you enough for all that you've done for the show and, and not only being a resource to, to the show, but being a resource to everybody in the Western community and, us getting to enjoy the benefits of your career as a chef now through your cookbook. Mm -hmm. We look forward to all that you have in the future. If there's anything that we can do to help support you and your cause, please do not hesitate to reach out. We're here as a resource and and we'll support you through and through. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. It was an absolute honor and a wonderful chatting with you. All right, Waylon, we'll talk to you later. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation and it costs less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.